Listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Well, good morning, Real Life. How are you guys doing today? All right. Well, I'm so glad that you're here today to uh, experience this uh, message with that I've experienced this entire week. Uh, if you've looked at your notes and you have young ones in here, you know this is a PG 13 ish uh, message. So I will not be offended if you have to take some young ones out of here, or unless you're ready to talk about things with your kids or questions afterwards, uh, they may have some questions about some stuff. So I get the privilege of being the lead servant here at this church, and I am honored uh, to do that. Again, my name is Josh Gray, and uh, I just am so blessed about our church. We got to celebrate this morning uh, in our, uh, our our prayer huddle kind of before with all of our volunteers. We got to celebrate, and you get to hear the cool things. There was four or five folks that were able to share and share the cool things that they've seen God doing in their lives and other people's lives uh, because of you and because of your faithfulness and because of how God is moving in your lives. And that is so encouraging as we are all to be equipping the saints and you're a saint and I'm a saint and God's equipping us to go out and do great things in his kingdom. So I'm super proud of this church, proud of our team. Hey, by the way, you know, we have a whole nother group of people, 150 to 200 people that attend every week online. And so everybody say hi, wave your hands in the air like you just don't care. We love you guys. You're part of our family uh, as much as, as anything. And so thanks for being here. Well, yeah, 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 right, right. So here we go. Uh, this is a message. You know, you see like a train coming from a long ways away. And if you're just like, hey, I just came back to check things out in real life, see how things are going, well, welcome. Um, yeah, this is how things are going. Uh, this, this message has had a lot of um, prayer and uh, heaviness over it. And I wanted to have a glass house up here with the stone next to it so you could know that I cannot throw any stones where we're talking today. Um, I just ask that, that God would just kind of soften your heart a little bit here because this is a message that has the ability to convict probably everyone sitting in this room. And it feels risky to me. It feels like it has the chance to be offensive, but God's word is never offensive. Man's word is offensive and has been offensive, but God's word, when you feel offended by God's word, that's called conviction. And that's called something that God's pouring into your heart of like, okay, well, that's a check there. There's something I need to check in my walk and see what's happening. So as you are searching through God's word, as you have been reading, hopefully, this beautiful uh, letter that Paul has written uh, to the Corinthians, you know, what is it doing in your heart? And I'm, part of today is just I get to share a little bit about what it's doing in my heart. So my hopes for this uh, message is it's not offensive. It's convicting for me. Most people I know have been sexually immoral at some point in your life when you really start to dig in what is the definition of sexual immorality. That doesn't make it right or okay. It doesn't make it something that 
we can try to justify and change and bend God's word around our culture and what we want it to say. It's one of those things where when enough of us have sinned in a certain area, we try and figure out, well, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. That's not just the way it is. That's not what he intended. And to have a church that would fight, that we would stop and fight the good fight within our walls, not throwing stones out there, but within our walls and say like, okay, like how do we not just give up and say, well, okay, but that we would stand firm on as we understand what God's word says and in some difficult areas and some difficult issues. See, we get to land in God's grace. We get to land in his love and his redemption because of his son and his son's sacrifice on the cross. All of us, we get to land there. So what do we do with these issues that we see in Corinth that we probably aren't even, can't even relate to? That's sarcasm. Do we value God's temple? And what is God's temple? You. You have the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God living inside you if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. How do you value God's temple? Do we believe that to be a disciple, we need to follow God? That we need to be transformed? We need to have the renewing of our minds? We need to think about things the way that we understand that God would think about them? To be on mission with him in his kingdom? So as we've spent some time with Paul, we understand that he's talking about the temple a lot. And he's trying to give them a proper definition of what temple is. That it's not a place where the prostitutes are. It's not these grandiose buildings that you see. It's not the temple of their culture. Who are the Corinthians? They're real people at a real place, at a real time, dealing with real messes. This was commonplace. He has to address this. Paul has to address sexual immorality because it was normal. It was completely normal that, of course, dad would go up and have sex with the temple priestess up at the temple of Ar- Artemis, or, uh, yeah, Aphrodite, and go up there and have sex with that, that, those priestesses up there and do those things, because that's what the culture does. That's what we do. And then he comes home, and he's dad. And, of course, you'd have all of these other things going on when your culture is just caught up into it. It's like if you got up every morning, and you put poop on your face every morning, and you did that, and that's what your dad did, and that's what your mom did, and that's what the culture did, and that's what everybody has done for the end of time. And somebody comes up, and they're like, why are you putting poop on your face? They're like, why don't you have poop on your face? Because you're so ingrained in the culture. And so Paul has to call him out of this culture. And he has to do it boldly. He has to do it confidently. And he has to say that we look different. You are set apart so a couple of things I want you to be thinking about today. I want you to, I hope that we leave today with some clarity on what's, what is sexual immorality? What is that? Define it. And when we're called to flee from it, and Paul does say to flee from it, how do we do that? It's such a strong pull. It's like, it's, it's been 
connected to a strongest pull of as heroin and a heroin addict. So how do we flee from, from sexual immorality? So join me. We're going to dive into 1 Corinthians. We're going to back up a little bit to verse 9. We talked a little bit about it last week. I kind of ran it over a little bit. Uh, and then we're going to work our way through this. So uh, join me. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you guys were. So guess what they were dealing with 2,000 years ago? Sexual immorality. Guess what we're dealing with today? Sexual immorality. Guess what they were dealing with when Leviticus was wrote? Sexual immorality. And that's what some of us were, but you were washed. Praise Jesus. God be praised. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. That's not who you are anymore, he says. You have to flee from that, that you can't be identified as someone who's sexually immoral and continue to call yourself a Christian. You need to flee from that. And you really can't flee from it by yourself. You need accountability. You need relationships. You don't need to just hear it from a pulpit. And it's good that we're going to hear, hear it from a pulpit. And we're like, yay, okay. For all those of us that are like, yeah, finally. Yet we are dealing with our own secret sexual immorality inside of our own marriages. All of those things. And so it's like, oh, I heard it from the pulpit. Great. I know what he thinks or what that church thinks. No, what do you think? What is God talking to you about, about your sexuality? How is he working with you? How about your small group? How about your group of of guys or gals of three or four people that you do life with that you can actually be honest enough to talk to them about when you're struggling with your sexuality and and what you're doing in life? I'm not going to fix it from the pulpit. It's a start. But it doesn't get fixed because you read the same thing I read. It gets fixed in community. Verse 12, my, my Bible says, transitions to verse 12, and it says, sexual immorality. I have the right to do anything, you say. The Corinthians said, I have a right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Are we to take advantage of our freedom? Are we to take advantage of God's grace? Are you preparing to already sin this week? With sexual morality, and are you preparing to all go to him and ask for forgiveness again and again and again and over and over as you continue to sin? Are you going to turn away and flee from that? Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? We need to sin to give, give some more sinning so, so our grace can increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That was Romans 6, 1 and 2. Moving on. It says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Are you mastered by your sexuality? Are you mastered by your sex drive? Is it controlling what you're doing? Does it control how you want to appear and look to the world, men? 
Ladies, does it, con- does it control how you want to be pursued? You want to be pursued for sex? That's what you want to be pursued for? Not for the absolute beauty that God has created you to be? But because you look good? Be careful. Guys, be careful. You say that food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. So what's the big deal? See, you remember their culture, their Rome, retired Roman armies, right? The uh, retired uh, Roman soldiers are there. There's freed slaves there. Their moral basis is not giant. They conquered and dominated and did those things, and, and these people were, like, they're not giants. Like, this is, like, what they're used to. And, you know, this area here is called the auditorium. The area right outside these doors is called the vomitorium. And you know, in the Roman times, what they would do is they would eat so much and eat so much and eat so much because whatever your body's just a, it's just temporal. Eat so much, eat so much, be entertained, boo, yeah, throw things at somebody on the stage, do all that stuff, and then get so full and so thing that you need to go out there and you need to puke. And then you can come back in and start eating some more. Do you see the context of how they would treat their bodies? What's the big deal? Eat for pleasure. The body's just a machine. Use it and abuse it. That is the culture of Corinth. The Greeks believed that the body was temporal, something to be used for your pleasure and for others' pleasure, which is why they would have 10,000 prostitutes all over this town. Go ahead. What feels good to you? What do you think is right? How does it feel to you? Why don't you just satisfy your desires? It's a city built on that. You know, Las Vegas, old school Las Vegas, you'd be walking down the strip. I remember the first time I took my family there was a mistake, um, but they were young. We got off this bus and there's this guy's dressed, you know, the band Kiss, right? They had the black faces and the white things and they're all just wearing uh, thong bikinis. And the gal has some inappropriate things around this area. And my 11-year-old son's like, Welcome to Las Vegas. And you walk down there and their guys are snapping these things and they're trying to hand you something. And the billboard goes right past there with this giant billboard with naked women. Call them. They'll come right to your hotel room. And you get to see the Australian thunder from down under. And all these buff guys that are showing like, is it not? Like, welcome to Corinth. It's common. See, Paul calls our bodies the very temple of God. The Holy Spirit resides in your body when you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He goes on to say, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. This body is an amazing gift. It's here to be used to glorify his kingdom and his purposes. Verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will, also, he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the member of, members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Should we sell? Should we sell the temple of God? Should you sell the temple of God that's within you? Should we buy other people's temples and use them for our pleasure? Should we seek to take advantage of the less fortunate? Do you know that there's 50,000 people a year, 70% of them are women that are brought in from the Philippines and Mexico for sex trafficking? 
50,000 people, everybody in Moscow and Pullman, young girls, probably 70% of them, brought across the borders because we can't control, we, big we, can't control our sexual desires. That's happening in our own backyard here. Well, okay. Thank goodness, I'm, thank goodness I don't have to deal with that. Just wait. Should we seek to take advantage of those less fortunate? How about a drunk decision in college? Carousing at a bar. Are you there to protect people? Hopefully you're, you're not drunk when you're there. Are you there to protect God's precious creation or take advantage of it? Looking for a hookup. Should we sell our sexual nature so cheaply? Paul goes on to say never, and it's a super strong word here when he says never. It's may it never be that way with you. May it never be that way with you. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it it is said the two will become one flesh. When you unite with someone intimately, there is something pretty amazing and awesome that happens when it's done underneath God's planning. And there's something pretty amazingly perverted and horrible when it's done outside of God's plans. Have you ever tried to separate two pieces of wood together that was stuck together by liquid nail? It's an adventure. It is very difficult. It requires tools, usually. And when you do it and you're ripping it apart, you, you, you're just, I remember this when we were remodeling a church in Montana. I was, I was like so excited to rip these two-by-sixes off of this wall. And it split the two-by-sixes in half. Half of the two-by-six stuck where the liquid nail was on the back of the, of, the, uh, of the particle board. And the other half split off this way. It was split and broken. And when you do that, in the idea and realm of sexual immorality or having sex with somebody that you're not going to be married to or that you're not married to, you, you splinter. And there's pieces of you that you leave there and there's pieces of them that they leave there forever. Because this awesome gift of sex was, was designed for an amazing purpose. God made it, he made it so awesome that you'd want to do that often. And that's why we're all here, isn't it? That's right. You're here because your parents had sex. (laughs) When you unite with someone intimately, you create a a bond. Verse 17, he says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. Run away. Stay away from it as far as you can. But why? If it's so awesome, why would I want to flee from it outside of the bonds of of how God has designed it? Because I have needs. All of their sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. When you... When you sin against your own body, in my opinion, you cast out the Holy Spirit during that time because he's not going to hang around in the temple when we're abusing it. And I know from my own personal experience, I felt that, but I feel like that he also, I can invite him back in and he comes back. But blaspheming the Holy Spirit I think I could get there by sinning against your own body. 
It would be hard for God's presence to stay right in there when that perversion happens. You push out the very God who's residing in you. And it just doesn't happen when it's just somebody. It it happens, and we'll get to this next week. It happens when you sin with your eyes online. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So this was said to these Corinthians who were having a big problem and their whole culture was about sexual immorality. I ask you to take a snapshot of our culture. I would ask you to, to think about when contraception was invented in the 50s. And, you know, one of the things, and this is no offense to my parents, I don't know if they're watching this, but, like, I wasn't raised in the church. But I remember leaving at 13 or 14 to go out with my friends. And I remember my mom asking me this. She said, I'm 13 or 14 years old. Josh, do you have your raincoat with you? Which she was nicely using that word. Are you you taking condoms with you? A 13 or 14 year old. Why would she say that? Well, you're going to do what you're going to do anyway. Just don't get in trouble and wreck your entire life. Well, how would I wreck my entire life? Well, you could get someone pregnant. Wasn't that what sex does? Yeah, that's what it does. That's a big piece of what it's designed for. But stop that. And Hey, all right, I hope you're on the pill. Like, they start removing the consequences and the blessings from what God is designing and start pulling that back. Now there's less, less risk, right? There's so much less risk. We think. I don't think there's less risk. So are we Corinthians? Do we struggle with the same things that they struggled with? There's phrases like, you know, he's just out sowing his wild oats. Not if you're a follower of Christ, you're not. You're not casting the Holy Spirit out of your body when you're sowing your wild oats. Everyone else is doing it. Well, not everybody else is doing it, but a lot of people are doing it. So that doesn't make it right, though. If, you jump, if your friend jumped off of a bridge, would you? Well, maybe. Looks fun. Like, well, if your friend, you know, like, but that's still kind of the point. Like, well, if everybody's doing it, it must be correct, then it must be right. No. No, it's not. Well, kids will be kids. Not if you're a follower of Christ. You don't let your kids be kids and do things that are against God's word if you're a follower of Christ and you understand his word. And not that you can stop them or prevent them, but you can certainly advise them. Oh, it's my body. It's my choice. Not if you're a follower of Christ. And that's not a female quote of my body, my choice stuff. I didn't mean that. I'm ignorant enough to not know that. But like, dude, dudes, like, it's not your body. And if you're a follower of Christ, you better be careful with your choices. 
And ladies as well, don't put yourself in those compromising situations because guys are pigs on occasion. They are hunters. They will say and swoon and do whatever they can for a purpose, an ungodly purpose sometimes. And don't jump into it beforehand. Well, we're going to get married or we're going to wait. Get married early. My daughter just got engaged this week, my oldest daughter. Yeah, I was pretty excited. I was like, hey, let's not have a long engagement. Let's go. She's 22, 23 years old. I don't like, "Ah, let's go. Like, how about tomorrow? So using your sexuality in a way that does not honor God and pushes out the Holy Spirit is really bad for you, and that's really bad for those around you and those that you're doing that with. Using sexuality for your purposes, your pleasure, and and how it it affects you and it affects others in ungodly ways. That really defies the commandment of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I'm a good lover. That's not what it means. And that's selfish too. Sexual immorality has happened in my life when it's all about me. When I break it all down, it's about being you-centered, about my will, my purposes, my stuff, what I want to feel like, what I, the urges I have, all of those things. It's really about me. So let's define it a little bit. The word that's used for sexuality is porneia. Uh, the original meaning of the Greek of the word porneia is to prostitute or to sell. To sell something that is really not yours, if you're a follower of Christ. Your body. However, by the time of the New Testament, porneia had a very broad meaning that included sexual behaviors such as prostitution. Extramarital sexual intercourse, having sex with someone outside of marriage. And then adultery is another one. So you are married and you're having sex with somebody that's not your spouse. So if you're having sex with somebody that you're not married to and you don't know if they're going to be married in the future, you could be uh, planting the seeds of future adultery. Having sex with somebody else's spouse. Well, I didn't know they were going to get married. Were you married to them? Pedophilia. Promiscuity, homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, premarital sex, and bestiality. Jesus raised the bar. He raises the bar for everyone. That if you've even thought about someone lustfully in your own heart, or in your own mind, you have committed adultery in your heart. She's like, well, I've never had sex with anybody that I wasn't married to. You ever thought about it? Welcome to the Sexual Immorality Club. So when you understand what sexual immorality is, how do we deal with that? What do we do with all that stuff? Josh, you said some words in here that were offensive. I have friends that are that, that act this way with their sexuality. Okay. How are you loving them? Are we loving by approving things that we might see in God's word that, that aren't going to be their best? 
Why is this such an issue? Because it affects others. Sex trafficking, porn, rape. Like what happens when we don't have our sexual, when we are sexually immoral? What are the consequences of being sexually immoral? Do you know that uh, 86% of all uh, abortions are from folks that are not married? Like 50 million lives that are not here today on this earth, breathing, creating, dreaming, preaching, teaching, doing all these cool, amazing things. Because we were just like that. And first of all, it shocked me that 14% were married. But like, that, that's a consequence. Well, why would they? It's an unwanted pregnancy. Well, how did we get an unwanted pregnancy? Sure, there's the very like, thin layer of things that we could uh, really wrestle over. But are most of those rape and incest? No. So not having our, and this is, it's not a, that's not a ladies thing. Please, please hear me. That's not a ladies thing. If you had men with character, if you had men with, with morals, if you had men who were invested in and discipled in and loved and taught God's truth, we would, probably, we would have a lot less abortions. But the hurt continues on. See, I come from a family where my parents committed adultery. That's why they're divorced. And my dad tells a story about him and his little brother floating down uh, the American River and seeing his dad with another woman on the beach. Guess what my dad's respect was for his dad after he saw that? Not high. There's a reason why you leave home when you're 15 years old and you fought your dad in the front yard. Sexual morality. So why? Why is it an issue? Leviticus. Do you know God has to actually define what, what, like who and what you can't have sex with? He goes through and he's like, hey, by the way, don't have sex with animals. He actually had to say that. What does that mean? They were having sex with animals. And it wasn't just the men, it was the women. He actually has to say that in Leviticus. And then he has to actually go through, it's Leviticus 18, he goes through all of these like, hey, don't have sex with your mom. Don't have sex with your father's, your father's wife. Don't have sex with your, 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 uh, your, your kids, your kids, uh, your kids' children. Don't, and he lists all these things that like, we're, most of us are pretty grossed out by it and we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But what's interesting is he tells you why you shouldn't do that. Do not dishonor your father by having sex with your mother. Well, why? Because that would be dishonoring to your father. That would affect relationship. Do not have sex with your stepmom because that would be dishonoring to your father. Do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. That would dishonor you. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching your, your aunt. That would dishonor your uncle. Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. Weird. 
But why? Why would why would you not have have sex with your with your your wife's sister while she's alive? We well, shouldn't probably do that anyway. But like, is that about relationship? How would that make her feel? See, God's heart about all of these things is about relationship. And when we say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second commandment is like, love your neighbor as yourself. This piece of the puzzle is about loving your neighbor well. Proverbs is chocked full, full of things about, uh, about how to sexual immorality. So now we've all been pretty beat up. I kind of wish I could stand over here and just like kick this guy that was just talking a little bit. Uh, because like, ah, I'm kind of beat up. But here's the cool thing about this. So we can choose to be different. We're called to be different. We're called to actually be transformed. No matter what your list of sin is, it all comes back to a heart issue. Love your neighbor in an appropriate way. The world has not changed. The Hebrews were struggling with this 3,000 years ago. Corinthians were struggling with this 2,000 years ago. And our culture is struggling with it today. Here's the cool thing. God has not changed. He is not bending his word and changing it so it'll fit the culture. The culture bends and changes around his word if it has strong leaders that are doing that and, and us that are standing by it the best we can and willing to be transformed. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How many of you are bold enough to be made in this area, whether you're 17 or 16 or 60? When your eyes watch something that you shouldn't watch, you're endorsing it. Most of our TV shows that we watch are promoting sexual immorality. I loved Friends. It was so great. All those people were married and having sex, right? Oh, no. What TV show doesn't introduce stuff other than heterosexual marriage? It's always, it's, culture's bringing it in. What about this? What about this? It's super soft. I bet you if I ask my kids, they're just like, yeah, so what? It's their choice. Is it? Not if you're a follower of Christ. So Paul offered hope to the church in Corinth. The same hope that is offered to us today when we're caught up in the bondage of sexual sin or sexual immorality. Whether it's from the present or the past. First thing you got to do is you got to let go of your guilt and shame. You are not meant to walk around this world in guilt and shame. That is not an attractive Christian that's going to lead a lot of people to the Lord when you're just walking around in guilt and shame. You walk around boldly knowing that you have the spirit of God with inside of you and that you are forgiven and there's things that you were, but you're not them anymore. This is not about condemnation. It's not, this is about how much God loves you. If you stop sinning sexually, your life and the lives of the people around you will be more holy. Everybody wins. Paul reminds the church of Corinth, uh, you cannot live a double life. You cannot embrace the activities of this pagan world and be a living stone at the same time. You got to get help and you got to get accountability. These are the kind of sins that are pretty hard to stop on your own. And we're here to help. And we're working on it. I cannot, I cannot throw a stone here. My glass house would break. 
I'm working on it. I have guys in my life that I talk to, I confess to. Like, we have to. God can and will rescue people from their bondage to every kind of evil and sin. A couple last verses and we'll close. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Are you bold enough to confess your sins? Do you have the community around you to do that? Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Amen? Paul's message to the church in Corinth and to our church today is this. You're rescued out of bondage of pagan temples, sexual immorality. Don't return to that bondage. No matter what you may take from it, don't return to it. You can be washed again and again and again. You can be made holy again. You can once more be put back into right relationship with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Embrace the freedom that God has given you be a living stone in his temple. I hope this message has come across as a message of compassion and hope, and there is a, a line to hold and to draw. We don't just get bent around by culture, but we do it inside of the church. Don't go out and start beating people up. Check, in, check out your own glass house first. Start there and walk in the light as he is in the light. So do you value God's temple? Be transformed. Let's be transformed together. Let's take this time to go to communion. Go ahead and open your communion. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to this table. And this table covers all of the stuff that you're dealing with in your life. Maybe your thing isn't sexual immorality. Maybe it was in the past, but you're dealing with other stuff. This coming to this table covers that. Maybe it is a big deal for you. Maybe you do need to, to hold on to these and take these later when you meet with your people and you confess and you get your heart clean. You try and get people around you. Does this mean that we will not fail? No. But what do we do with that? And do we keep embracing it and saying it's okay? Or do we bring people to the very throne room of God, to his grace and mercy and love. He says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's a lot of making to do in my heart and who I am as a pastor and in all of us. So the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Lord and Savior. And in the same way, after supper, he took this cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you, whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's proclaim him. Father God, I just ask that you would just continue to sift this room. This is the not so secret sin that's holding back. 
It's holding back churches all across the world. The sin that brings an unbelievable amount of shame. I ask that you just continue to wash us and, and, to, and to clean us, Lord. Clean our hearts. Let us, let us fight. Let us at least put up a fight here. Let us call on the Holy Spirit, the almighty power of God, to come down upon all of our hearts and our children and our children's children and our children's children, everyone from this day forward, God, that we would fight this battle, that we would not give in to the temptation that so easily ensnares us, that we would flee from things that are immoral and that you would just be able to scream out into our ears and say, run, 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 run. And that we would not go running to something else or somebody else, but we would run into your grace, to your mercy, to your love, to your compassion. And we would be healed. We would be made white as snow, Lord. Because you're the God that does that. And I am so grateful for that. In Jesus' mighty, mighty, powerful name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.